You mean to tell me that it takes 900 people to decide who the best player in college football is? Really? It takes us 13 to figure out who the four best teams are, but we need 900 to figure out who the best player is? Hello and welcome to Always College Football with Greg McElroy, which is presented by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. Like I said, I'm Greg McElroy, along with me as always, Mark Kubiak and Jack Foster. We have an awesome show for you today on the December 12th. It's a Monday edition here of Always College Football. We're going to get into the Heisman Trophy, okay? I'm sure maybe like some of you, a trophy that was at one point so incredibly vital to my upbringing. It was appointment television. I don't know if it is anymore. And I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you a couple things that we can do to maybe adjust and tweak the process in an effort to make the Heisman Trophy a little bit bigger. Not saying it's not big. It's just not what it once was. Certainly has lost a little luster with me. And I'm thinking it maybe has lost a little bit with you as well. We're also going to go through some questions from the mailbag, like we always do, as often as we can at least. So we're going to get into that. And we're going to give you an update about the coaching carousel. A couple pieces that are now kind of starting to rotate around here as things are starting to cycle in that regard. So a lot that we need to get to. So let's not waste any time. Now let's talk about it. Presented by AT&T 5G. All right, let's talk about it. The Heisman Trophy. Arguably the most coveted individual award in all of sports. I, and, on, and look, there's several to me that kind of take top billing, like gold medal in the Olympics, the opportunity to, I don't know, become a golden glove athlete. I, I don't know. Like, I mean, there's a million of them. The heavyweight champion of the world belt. Like there are individual awards that are phenomenal, but there's nothing like the Heisman Trophy. To me, it was my entire childhood appointment television to the get to that final Friday and Saturday, the lead up to the Heisman, knowing that maybe there was a guy that I supported, a guy that I followed. Like I remember vividly as a fan of the Texas Longhorns as a 10-year-old watching Ricky Williams win it and thinking that that was the, the coolest thing. And then a few years later, watching Jason White win it from Oklahoma, having seen him play in the Red River shootout a couple months earlier. I just thought it was the coolest thing. And then you get to become a player and you start to compete against these guys. You're like, man, that's a Heisman Trophy winner on that sideline. Like, how cool is that? Even to a certain extent, even when you're in the NFL, I remember going toe-to-toe with Matt Leinart in the preseason thinking, man, it's pretty cool going toe-to-toe with a Heisman Trophy winner. Like, I remember the Heisman Trophy meaning so much to me and I'm sure so much to you as a college football fan that I just will always hold it in the highest possible regard. That's why when Caleb Williams won the 2022 Heisman Trophy, it's still super cool to me to know that he will forever be remembered as a Heisman Trophy winner. And it really wasn't a close margin, I might add. He secured 544 first place votes, had 2,031 points, which easily beat out the second place finisher in Max Duggan, who finished with 357 second place votes, which I think is phenomenal. Thought he did a terrific job all season and was worthy of finishing second in the Heisman Trophy race. He finished, however, nearly 700, 600 points behind that of what Caleb Williams was able to accumulate. You also had CJ Stroud. He finished with just 539 points, nearly one fourth the amount of points 
that Caleb Williams finished with. And then even further down the list was Stetson Bennett. He finished with 349, of course, nearly seven times behind that of Caleb Williams. So I digress. This is a long way of me saying the right guy won this year. If you hear nothing else that I say, the right guy won this year. I think you can make a case the right guy last year with Bryce Young. He was the right guy. The right guy won last year. Maybe the right guy in 2020 in your eyes won. Even though I think, you know, defensive players might deserve a little more recognition like had last year, had it been Will Anderson over Bryce Young, I think a lot of people would have maybe understood it. Two years ago, had it been Mac Jones over Devontae Smith, I think a lot of people might have understood it. Handful of years ago, if Trevor Lawrence would have won it in 2020, if he hadn't gotten COVID, maybe he would have won it. I don't know. All I'm saying is we have seldom crowned a Heisman Trophy winner that wasn't appropriate. I mean, dating back for as long as I can recall, sure, there have been some years in which you might disagree a little bit with the overall outcome. Like, for instance, when Peyton Manning didn't win the Heisman Trophy in 1997, it was absurd. Charles Woodson's phenomenal. Peyton Manning should have won it. Right? There are some people that think that Toby Gerhardt should have won the Heisman Trophy. There are some people that think Christian McCaffrey should have won the Heisman Trophy. All, all these things are fine, I might add. There, there's no issue whatsoever if you believe that one candidate was better than another. That's, that's perfectly fine, and I don't have any issues with it whatsoever. I, however, though, if I really look and try to see the forest through the trees and I look back over the course of my 34 years on this earth, there haven't been many years in which I've disagreed with the ultimate results. Yes, maybe some guys should have potentially won the Heisman Trophy, but maybe they went to a slightly smaller school and didn't get the recognition they deserve, like, I don't know, Marshall Falk. Uh, but <laughs> I digress. There are some things, though, with the Heisman Trophy that have soured of late. I'll just be the first one to admit. It used to be almost a certain layer of mystique that surrounded the award. And I still, like I said, I still celebrate the award, and I think you should too, but I also acknowledge too, man, if we can do something better, why wouldn't we try? Like if there's something that can be adjusted or tweaked to make sure that the Heisman Trophy is still held in the same regard that it's always been held in, let's at least look into that. Now that I've entered into the media world, I've realized very quickly how many people uh, have a vote, how many people get to at least play a small role and who is the, quote, most outstanding college football player in America. And what I've also found, too, in the 900 people that cast votes, not saying, like, I am not one of those, like, you had to have coached or played or you don't know the game. Like, I disagree with that sentiment. Like, football is not that complicated. It's a game of numbers and leverage. Like, angles and numbers. It's pretty much it. Like, it's geometry on the field. It's not that difficult. So I think that even if you didn't play the game, it's very easy to understand. It's not that complicated. But I do think that when you cast a net that is, say, 900 people wide, there is an echo chamber and there is a... I don't think there's a lot of freedom of thought when it comes to a, kind of assessing the college football landscape. And I also think, too, in the 900 people that vote, several of which are completely unqualified because they don't follow and or cover the sport. See, here's the problem with the Heisman Trophy and its voters, if you will. There was a time back in, say, the 1930s when Jay Barrowanger, the first Heisman Trophy winner, when he won back in the 30s for the University of Chicago, nobody knew what the Heisman Trophy was. 
The Heisman Trophy was an upstart award. I mean, it wasn't until they had a phenomenal marketing plan to try to go out and, hey, we're going to go and make sure that all the different editors, all the major newspapers and all the major outlets, all those people have an award so that they write about it. And that when they write about it, it only builds up just how prestigious this award may be. So it goes back to this archaic way of trying to generate some buzz for the award. It, of course, now has transitioned to the point in which, yes, there are television people that now vote on the award. There are radio personalities that vote on the award. There are writers. There are people that don't. They're obviously former winners all have a vote in who might ultimately win this year's award. All those things are great, but do you really need 900 of them? I have four simple ways that we can figure out and fix the issue that currently surrounds the Heisman Trophy. You might think of it and say, man, the Heisman Trophy is not broken. Well, that's fine. You might feel that way, but the viewership has been on a steady decline. Uh, I would say that there are not that many people that view the award the same way that they once did. So I do think there's some tweaking that can be done to the award in order to restore its greatness. Number one, okay, of the four, shrink the voter pool. Shrink the voter pool. Now, like I said a second ago, the thing that made the Heisman Trophy great was the fact that editors all over the country of various newspaper outlets, they all had a say in the award. So they took ownership of the award. So they put the award on the front page and thus it became front page news who won the award and just how big a deal it was. Well, we don't need to do that anymore. Like we all know what the Heisman Trophy is. Like it is an antiquated way of trying to generate buzz for the award that doesn't need it. So why do we need 900 people voting on the award? We don't. You mean to tell me that it takes 900 people to decide who the best player in college football is? Really? It takes us 13 to figure out who the four best teams are, but we need 900 to figure out who the best player is? And then another thing too, and this is this is not you know, a shot at anyone in particular. Do you realize that some people that have a vote are open and honest about their own partisan views towards a specific team? Do you realize that there is... Now they say they have all these Heisman background checkers. No, they don't. <laughs> I've never not once in the eight years I've been voting on the award had a run-in with a Heisman, you know checker and a guy that manages the area. No, I've never run into one ever. I've been voting for eight years. Do you realize that I, as an Alabama graduate, there is absolutely nothing stopping me from having Will Anderson one, Bryce Young two, um, Jameer Gibbs three. And do you know that there are voters that are outspoken in their partisanship? That's wrong. Like, it's no longer a regional sport. Like, we watch college football in every nook and cranny of the country. I've spent the whole weekend watching FCS football and watched games in Bozeman, Montana, watched games in Fargo, North Dakota, involving a team in Birmingham and Samford. William and Mary watched that. I mean, watched a game in Sacramento, California. Like, we can watch college football anywhere, day or night, 
in any single location. It's not like we have the big five networks and they'll better pick one of those and hopefully my team's on. It's not like that anymore. Like you can get 13 people in a room and you can vote on who the best player is. So shrink the voter pool. That's one. Number two, can we please get rid of the six regions? Like really, I, I'm, oh, so I, as a guy that lived in Charlotte, North Carolina for 20 months, my vote is in the Mid-Atlantic region. I lived there for 20 months, lived 10 years in Los Angeles, lived 10 years in Dallas, Texas, and have lived 10 years in Birmingham, Alabama, or Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So whatever, split between the two. But yet, the place that I spent the shortest amount of time is where my vote is located. Almost as if, oh, well, you know, these people in the Mid-Atlantic, they're only watching the Mid-Atlantic, so they will vote on the Mid-Atlantic players. Really? Come on. Like I watched just as much Caleb Williams as I did, you know, any team in the Mid-Atlantic all year, as, I, as, I did, as much as I did Drake May. I mean, that doesn't make a difference whatsoever. Like, get rid of the regions. Like, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a South voter, so, you know, I'm, I've watched the Southern teams. What? Really? That's ridiculous. It's this antiquated, archaic way of saying, oh, well, th- these guys watch these teams, so they're, my- they're smart about these teams. No, they're not. No, no more smart about the Southern teams than they are the West Coast teams or the Northern teams or the Big Ten teams or the East Coast teams, whatever. It's absurd. Get rid of the regions. That's two. Shrink their voter pool, one. Get rid of the regions, two. Number three. Right now, when you submit your ballot, there are three spots. Three. So you have a winner, second place, third place. The winner gets three points, second place gets two points, third place gets one point. Simple as that, right? Makes sense. But right now, we're seeing such a massive drop-off, and it's almost difficult because you cannot spread the love. Like The vote and the ballot needs to be at least five spots. At least. Like This year, Max Duggan was not on my ballot. And yet, I love Max Duggan. I just didn't think he was a top three player in college football this year that I saw. I watched him. I think Max Duggan's phenomenal. He had finished second in the Heisman Trophy, but he's probably a top five, six, seven player, but I didn't have him as a top three player. We should expand it to at least five spots on the ballot because sometimes it's not as easy as just one, two, three. Sometimes four might be two and sometimes one might be five. And I mean, we should... I think have more names because also at the same time, man, if you have the vote spread out a little bit wider, you might have more guys in New York as a finalist. And you would say, well, that's a participation trophy. I don't care about guys getting to New York. doesn't make a difference to me. Well, fine. It doesn't to you, but to the guy that is going to be named a Heisman finalist, it's a pretty significant thing to have on your tombstone at the end of your college career. So I think we need to at least expand it to at least five spots. All right, so number one, shrink the voter pool. Number two, get rid of the regions. Number three, expand the ballot from three spots to five spots at the minimum. I'd love it to go to 10, but I don't think we'll have a chance to really get there. And then finally, have you noticed that the only guys that seem to be eligible right now for the Heisman Trophy are the guys that are currently in the playoff hunt? Have you noticed that? Like if you're not in the playoff hunt, you really don't have a chance. You could say that, well, that's not entirely true. Clay Williams didn't make the playoff. Okay, but he had his Heisman moment in the final two games of the regular season 
when it was very well understood that SC had to win in order to make the playoff. And then he, of course, didn't play well in the conference championship game. But at that point, voters' minds were already made up and probably in some cases, some voters had already submitted their ballot. We need to deviate. And this goes for all of college football. I love focusing on the playoff as much as the next person. I know you love the playoff. I know when we expand the playoff, maybe it'll change things. But there is way too much focus on the playoff when it comes to our coverage as a sport. Like all we talk about in the final month of the season, oh, well, 14 playoff, 14 playoff, who's still in? Who's got a chance? What are the hypotheticals? If this team loses to this team, this team's in. Well, that shrinks how the sport is covered. And then ultimately, what position gets talked about most when it comes to college football? Quarterback. So if all the focus in the final month of the season is on the playoff teams, and all the focus within the playoff teams is on the quarterback, who do you think is going to be front of mind when people are starting to think about who's going to vote for, who they're going to vote for for the Heisman Trophy? It's going to be the quarterback on the playoff teams. Like, and that's not the Heisman's fault, I might add. They can do something about the top three things, shrink the voter pool, get rid of the regions, expand the ballot. There's not much they can do about number four. But that's on us as media members. Let's spread the love, man. There's great football being played everywhere. There's phenomenal football players all over the country. And if your team's not necessarily in the playoff, it doesn't mean you're not the most outstanding player in college football. My ballot this year read, Caleb Williams won. I thought he was the best player. Bijan Robinson, two. I thought Bijan Robinson had a phenomenal year. A phenomenal year. If you watch his offensive line, I don't think they're great. Was it without his starting quarterback for four games? Turned into an extremely well-rounded back where he can contribute, obviously, on first and second down running the football, but also became a huge piece of that play-action attack. And if you look at how he made everyone else around him better because of how much attention was paid to him on a down-in, down-out basis, you'll realize just how valuable he is and just how, quote, outstanding he is, which is why he was number two on my ballot. I don't care about their win-loss record. Like That's on the coach. Bijan Robinson did everything in his power to give his team a chance to win every single game. And number three, I had Hendon Hooker. And people will say, well, Hendon Hooker you know, didn't play very well against Georgia. I agree. I don't think he played very well in that game. I haven't seen a quarterback dice Georgia up yet. So when that day comes, maybe I'll feel differently. But I thought Hendon Hooker completely elevated everyone else on his team to a level in which I have not seen from Tennessee in 20, 25 years. When they were chasing championships back in 98, that was the last time I saw Tennessee look the way they did at times this year. So I thought Hendon Hooker, at the bare minimum, deserved a trip to New York. And the fact that he didn't was really disappointing. It's nothing against any of the other three candidates that didn't that were there and didn't get my vote. Those were all exceptional. And if the vote had more than three ballots, three spots on the ballot, every single one of those three candidates, Stetson, CJ, and of course, Max Duggan, all of them would have been somewhere if it were expanded to 10. They'd all be sprinkled in there somewhere. But I want the Heisman to become phenomenal yet again. And I feel like it's lost a little bit of luster with a lot of folks. And if we can make a couple subtle adjustments, I think the Heisman has a chance to once again 
regain its place atop the college football world. Let's talk about is brought to you by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. Lions, Tigers, and tailgates. Oh my. The college football season is always a great time of year. Besides the jerseys, the face paint, and the foam fingers, there's the food. And nothing gets you more fired up for game day than Eckrich smoked sausage. They're naturally hardwood smoked and have the perfect blend of spices. From buffalo sausage dip, sausage, chili, mac, and cheese, Eckridge smoked sausage is a quick way to bring flavor to all your tailgate meals. Visit Eckridge.com for easy, one-of-a-kind sausage recipes. Eckridge, you do you. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. All right, now into some news and notes from the college football weekend. What a game it was between Army and Navy. And I might say something about that game is just phenomenal. I just love it. I love the invocation at the beginning. I love the fact that they played the Star Spangled Banner during the broadcast window itself. It just feels very patriotic, and it just felt really cool to be able to absorb that yet again on Saturday. Now, it was a phenomenal game. The streak... Heard around the world, everyone talked about, well, 16 in a row had gone under, 32 points. That's the total. Got to go under. No, 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 not so fast. Overtime obviously leads to it going over, and it leads to what was a terrific, terrific football game. It was so highly entertaining. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed the back and forth that was throughout the entire weekend, man. Army prevails. They get to 6-6 six and six now after what was an awesome Awesome back and forth. What I love most, perhaps, maybe of the entire game is the box score. Every time I look at Army-Navy, the box score jumps out, right? You look and you see just one for one for Xavier Arline, the starting quarterback of the Navy midshipman. One for one, 25 yards and a touchdown. Of course, that was the first play of the overtime period. And you're looking at that, man, just absolutely awesome. <laughs> they had that little run around and then kind of found him out the backside on the wheel route, man. Really, really well designed. Of course, the offenses certainly got going in that one. Felt so bad. Felt so bad for the young man who put the ball on the deck that ultimately led to the fumble and ultimately led to the game-winning field goal for the Army. But Anton Hall did so many great things, so many great things all game long. And unfortunately, that ball just pops out. They, of course, recover. Darius Richardson recovers for Army. Then they go three and out and kick the game winner. And how about the how about just the gumption there by Army's kicker, Mark uh, Maretsky, 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 like Wayne Gretzky, Maretsky, Maretsky being able to drain it through on a 39-yarder. He had the 38-yarder earlier in the game. He had a terrific game as well. So congrats to Army. What a great performance. And on the heels of that performance, it was disappointing to see one of the great, great people in the sport be relieved of his duties. Kenny and Matalolo will not return as the head coach of the Middies. Now, it's pretty wild to me because I almost can't even think of a time 
prior to Ken Niamatololo being there in Annapolis. Of course, Paul Johnson, that was who he succeeded back in 2008. He went 109 and 83. And we all remember some of the great seasons that Navy's had throughout his tenure. There've been some phenomenal, phenomenal performances. And quote, this was coming from Navy's athletic director, Chet Gladchuk. I thought this really summed it up and summed it up really nicely. Quote, our sincerest gratitude for Coach Ken for what has been a distinguished and impactful legacy at the Naval Academy. Navy football flourished for many years under his leadership. He will be forever remembered for the influence he had on the lives of the players who played for him. We have great respect and appreciation for his 25 years of service to the Academy. Just thought that was really well done. And honestly, anyone that's ever been around Coach Ken, you know that he is a first class just a first-class individual, and we just wish what's best for him. Of course, he had some great moments, beat Army 11 times, won six Commander-in-Chief trophies, led the program to six bowl victories. So there have been an awful lot of incredible moments in Ken Niamatololo's tenure as the Navy head coach, but we'll be curious to see who takes that job. Of course, the Academy's difficult gigs, and usually they kind of bring in a very specific style Maybe started to go away from that a little bit. Let's see, maybe if they abandoned the triple option altogether, maybe they abandoned the fear. I don't know. Well, we'll see what happens, but it'll be very, very interesting nonetheless. So to see a mainstay in college football no longer there is something that we've already become accustomed to in this hiring cycle. We all know a couple of week, a couple of weeks ago that there was going to be a shakeup with the Stanford Cardinal. You think about what has gone down in recent years with Stanford. We know David Shaw has had unprecedented success in the last decade and change leading the Cardinal, but it was time for him to step down. He didn't necessarily like the direction the program was going. They're now going to go in a completely different direction, and they have officially made their hire. Troy Taylor of Sacramento State has been named the new head coach at Stanford. Now, what's interesting, he's a Cal graduate. So I think that's something that is a little bit ironic to begin with. And also, he just lost to Incarnate Word. More on the FCS playoffs in just a minute. What a great weekend for FCS football. But Incarnate Word was able to basically hold off and score there at the last 30 seconds to knock off Sacramento State. They were previously unbeaten, and it had the number two ranking in the FCS playoffs. So for Troy Taylor now to step over to the big time and become a head coach of a power five school and a power five school with expectations is pretty significant. Taylor's 54. He's the two-time big sky conference coach of the year. And won the 2019 Eddie Robinson award as the FCS coach of the year. Uh, I got to be honest. I don't know anything about him. (laughs) I'll be the first one. I'm watching Sacramento state this past weekend. My eyes were barely glued open. It was late. It was a late start there on Saturday night, but I watched most of that game and I'm pretty impressed with some of the firepower they displayed. How does that translate to Stanford? I genuinely don't know, but clearly Stanford feeling like they needed a shot in the arm, maybe a guy that does more with less and hopefully Troy Taylor can be that for them. This episode is brought to you by AT&T, official sponsor of the college football playoff. Is checking your team's stats at 2 a.m., watching highlights while eating with buddies, or catching the game during a wedding all too much? Nope. 
because too much college football is never too much. And AT&T 5G keeps you connected all season long. 5G requires compatible plan and device. 5G may not be available in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for details. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. All right, now let's dive into a couple of great questions that you guys sent us over the last couple of weeks. Continue to do, this, do so, please, at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com, or you can hit us up in our social media at alwayscfb. So please continue to send your mailbag questions. We'll get them in the show, and we'll get them answered as soon as humanly possible. So without much further ado, Coops, kick it off. All right, first one comes from Frank in Charlotte. If you were a transfer quarterback, would you want to go to a place that you had to compete for a starting spot or a place where you knew you will play? And how do coaches walk that line? Well, I think it's really difficult. It's a great, great question, Frank, and and we appreciate you sending it in. Uh, But here's the problem. You want to create a culture of competition, always, always, right? Like You never want to anoint a guy before he wins the job. Because ultimately, when dealing with quarterback more specifically, you have to win the team. And if you don't win the team, it's going to be difficult to put your best foot forward because you need all other 10 guys that are out there on offense with you. You need them playing at the highest possible level. And it's hard to get them to do that if they're not really totally convinced that you're the best man for the job. So you have to win the team. But I also think too, in today's day and age, this is going to sound really crazy. And I hate that I have to say this. I hate that we've gotten to the point where we kind of have to just concede defeat, but I feel like we've had to do so in so many different equations, right? Like I'm not hugely in favor of a college football playoff expansion, but I got to concede defeat. We lost. So might as well embrace the new format. Okay. So In this particular case, in order to maximize the talent that you're going to have at the position, you almost have to not guarantee them a starting spot, but their pathway to the starting spot has to be pretty dang clear. Like most guys are going to transfer, especially if you're a top tier guy, if you're a top tier recruit, they're looking at your roster. They're looking at how many four and five stars that you have at quarterback or three stars, whatever the la- whatever the depth situation may be. And if there's a couple of guys that are really, really talented, probably not going to have people jump in the portal and pick your school as a destination. Let's use Michigan as an example. Like for instance, if Cade McNamara would have graduated last year and JJ McCarthy was sitting there on the roster having played a little bit the year before sparingly had looked good at times, but still a young player. However, was a highly regarded, highly recruited prospect coming out of high school. Do you think Caleb Williams, for instance, would have been super intrigued with going to Michigan last year, assuming the Lincoln Riley thing never happens. Let's just say Lincoln Riley retired at the end of last season. So link. So Caleb Williams goes into the portal 
He's evaluating all his options. And Michigan calls, hey, man, we would love for you to come up and compete with J.J. McCarthy and you know, may the best man win. You think that's going to be something that Caleb Williams really wants to do? Probably not, right? He's probably going to want to go somewhere where it's very clear, I'm the man the second I walk on campus. Now, that might be a good thing. That might be a bad thing. But I do think it's one of those catch-22 situations where, yes, in order to make sure that I am as talented as I can be at the position, I kind of need to clear the way for one of those top-tier quarterback prospects to come to my place and be the day one starter the second he walks in the building. But at the same time, I also want to create a culture of competition where nothing is handed to anyone. It's all earned. So it's definitely a catch-22. However, I think creating the culture of competition will always ultimately be better off. So even if you're slightly less talented at quarterback, I can live with that. As long as everyone else on the roster knows that a message has been sent, it doesn't matter how good you are. You don't get just just walk in and be the guy. You walk in and you earn the opportunity to compete by how you prepare and by how you practice. It's as simple as that. Okay, next one comes from Tim in Minnesota. Says, I love the confidence bowl pick games. Not that you need to go through all the bowl games, but can you give me five winners that you are most confident in heading into the bowl season? Right now, five? I mean, we're going to get through all these bowl games. We got several days. I won't give you five. You're going to have to, I'm not going to give you them all right now. Like, if you go giving stuff away, like, come on, man, you got to keep coming back day at a time. Maybe I'll give you one a day. The ones that I feel most confident in. The one that I look at right now that I'm very, very confident in, and it's it's tricky. I think Florida State takes care of business against Oklahoma. I, I just I don't see a scenario. And look, Oklahoma has had some pretty good moments this year, some pretty average moments this year. Um, but for the most part, man, it's not been a team that I really rely on. But you know who's playing great football down the stretch? The Florida State Seminoles. So the only thing that I think could get in their way is if they're reading their press clippings a little bit and everyone's telling them how great they are and how Oklahoma stinks and the you know Florida State's just got to show up, roll the ball out, and let's go have a day. If they take this situation for granted, they could definitely be upset, just like everyone in the bowl games. But if everyone plays their A game, every single team in the bowl game plays their A game against the other team, Florida State and Oklahoma's gap is pretty significant. So I think Florida State, that would be one that I would be very, very excited if I were a Seminole fan to see what the outcome of that game may be. All right, great show today. Look, the Heisman's not some decrepit award, all right? It's just lost a little bit of luster with me. And and look, I'm proud to be a voter, but I think there's a lot of people that we could probably do away with as voters and replace them with people that really truly care about the sport and that follow the sport and live and breathe and support the sport through hell or high water. And if we can just make sure that those are the people that are voting, not people with an agenda, not people with a big platform, just exclusively on those that are trying to make sure that the best possible candidates are considered on a week-to-week basis, those are the people that need to be voting not the people with big radio platforms that have never watched a college football game a day in their life. Okay. I digress. We can fix it. We'll address it a little bit more down the road. Thanks for being with us. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It really helps the show out. If you're like us, you know the season never ends. So you got to continue to keep coming back every single day. And we're going to continue to talk about some of these bowl games. A little later in the week, we're going to dive into a couple of these matchups. Bowl games start just four days from now. Y'all get pumped. I'm going to be in Los Angeles. I'm calling the LA Bowl. 
Washington State and Fresno State, come on down, baby. We'll be at SoFi. So if you want to come and get in the action, Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl, baby. Come meet me at SoFi. Let's go have some fun. But we have a great, great week lined up for you. Don't want to miss it. We'll continue to revisit the portal. We'll continue to revisit what's going on when it comes to the coach's carousel. So a lot still on our plate here before we get to the bowl season. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark Kubiak and Jack Foster, I'm Greg McElroy. This has been Always College Football with Greg McElroy, presented by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.